This is the Big Nasty. Yeah, Big Nasty Hall of Fame Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. If you ain't watching, you ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! It is December 13th, 2017, as we welcome you back to the Cannon Fire Podcast on YouTube and iTunes. Here today we're going to talk about the lack of a game that happened against Detroit and Raymond James last weekend. We'll also preview ourselves the Monday night matchup against the NFC South rivals, the Atlanta Falcons, coming up next week on Monday. Should be a fun game, especially since you guys know what's going on at halftime. The Ring of Honor induction of former Super Bowl head coach John Gruden. And as of right now, my hopes for who's going to be our next head coach. As we here at the Cannon Fire Podcast are hashtag Team Gruden. Spread it around if you haven't already, if you're ready for change. But welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I am Rhett. Your host, Evan, is not going to be here tonight, so we are flying solo. And we're going to talk about the Detroit game that happened last weekend in Ray J. Obviously a disappointment. Bucks came out and shit the bed once more. We're here to talk about it, but really a game that just made me wish the season was over already. You know, we've still got a couple of games left. We've got Atlanta, and then we wrap up with division rivals after Atlanta. We've got Carolina and New Orleans. Carolina is going to be on the road. New Orleans is going to be finishing off the season on my birthday, actually, December 31st in Ray J. So we'll see how those games go. But really, nothing but division rivals for the end of the year, and we've already seen how that's gone for us this year. So let's take a look back at Sunday. Uh, a game that made me wish the season would just be over. It was fairly easy to see the lack of effort and heart compared to what we needed to see from this team to win football games, but... Something we needed to look at, three first-half turnovers on three consecutive possessions. Now, if you watch the whole game, it was a lot more than three turnovers on the day. I believe we finished with six, and the Lions finished with four and five. Four or five. I don't remember the exact stat, but I don't really have time to pull it up right now as we're going over the show. But three first-half turnovers on three consecutive possessions. One of them, which was bullshit, was the uh, the O.J. Howard fumble, as they said. At first, it was ruled an incomplete pass, then they came out and ruled it a fumble, and then I, pr- uh, not a fumble, but I'm pretty sure they came out and ruled it uh, an incomplete pass, and then it was challenged by Detroit, and they ended up winning the challenge and getting the football off of the fumble. It was a very weird series of events and something that took about seven minutes too long to decipher, and something that lost us a pretty good momentum on that possession, but... It really just gets me ready for the offseason. You know, we talk about change every week on the show. We've pretty much talked about the coaching situation the past three episodes. So it's been a hot topic, and it's something that we have to, you know, just get ready and get ourselves ready for. But how much longer can we sit here and talk about it on the show? I'm just ready for it, man. Don't feel very confident going up against these division rivals last three weeks of the season. They could prove me wrong. They, we, they've done crazier things on primetime, but 
You know, Monday Night Football, primetime against the Falcons has never really fared too well for us. So we'll see what happens. But looking at the game on Detroit, the biggest downfall and the root of all evil for this defense all season, and a lot of people, you know, can blame the defense about what happened against New Orleans, or not New Orleans, Jesus, against Detroit. Other than it being a team lost, nothing really stood out to me. But the defense has been the center of attention in a lot of these losses. And and you take a step back and you look at it. The root of all evil and the downfall of this defense all season has been tackling. Looking at the game on Sunday, Lions receivers had little to no problem making moves on defenders when given a slight window. Nobody was there to make a tackle, and the ones who were there just simply couldn't make the tackle as it was a weak arm tackle or just really trying to strip the football and make a play instead of making the tackle. Weak tackling and a lack of heart were more present than ever, especially after Gerald McCoy went down with that injury to the right arm. Turned out to be a bicep injury. The uh, the Pro Bowl defensive lineman Gerald McCoy did go down. Very emotional on the sidelines, as you guys did see if you were watching the game. And if it's a torn bicep, then that's the third time in GMAC's career that we've seen him go down with that injury. He's obviously back in the gym working out. He posted on Instagram today of him doing a set of squats with his trainer. It's good to see that his legs still work, but pretty much killed the momentum and the spirit that had you know, this defense keeping keeping up with everything going on. Tackling has been bad. GMAC going down isn't going to be much better, and a lot of people want to complain about Gerald McCoy in general, and I was kind of on this on this train before the season started, looking at Gerald McCoy as a player. He's never been a guy that's really come up when we needed him. I think the last time I've seen him actually come up when we needed him uh, was against Green Bay, and he had a big fourth quarter stop against number 30, the Green Bay running back. I think it was Jones. Jones or Williams. I think it was Williams wearing number 30, regardless, but... He made a big play and a pretty big hit on the running back as well, something you don't see from Gerald McCoy a lot. But other than that, I can't think of any times he's come up clutch for us in the fourth quarter. But taking a a look back at all the games and looking at the defensive line spot that he's in, this guy's getting double-tripled coverage at every play, and he's still still finding ways to make plays when he can. So it's shifted my view a little bit, but he definitely was the spirit of the defense as much as people do want to talk about it, and even if he wasn't the top guy on the defense, the leader of that defense anymore, he still was someone that we needed. But a really sad situation for GMAC. Hope he can turn around and make a pretty good recovery. Like I said, he's already back in the gym, so he's doing all right. But looking at last week's game, it's it's always turned around. Not turned around, but it's always it's always pointed to the Bucks. Missing opportunities. The Buccaneers played a game of missed opportunities. Looking at last week, how about no opportunities? The first quarter offense was humming. Obviously, Jameis had a pick, but he was getting the job done at completing passes. And then we ran into those three straight turnovers. Left us with little to no room to try and improvise and get something done on offense. Like I said, Jameis was completing passes. And it wasn't his best day. But it wasn't a bad day either. It definitely definitely wasn't a bad day either. Now looking at the looking at the turnovers that obviously could have cost us the game, the Lions had their fair of turn, uh, turnovers. And taking a look at our side of the football, 
on defense. Brent Grimes is someone that we cannot ignore. Coming in clutch for those turnovers, another pick in this game and his third of the season. At 34 years old, it's nice to see him save the day for our offense, but at the same time, at 34 years old, he shouldn't be able to have to save the day for our defense. I didn't mean to say offense, I meant to say defense. You guys know what I meant. At 34 years old, this guy is, you know, a lot of people are saying they're 99% sure he's going to retire next season. His wife has already come out and made a couple of statements about it, hinting towards it. So it's not a guarantee that he's going to be on the roster next year. He can't be the one out here making plays. It's nice to see him do it, but not when it's the only one coming out here and do it, man. Great to see Rob McClain coming to play as well, as the Lions did get cocky towards the end of the half. Could have just lined up for the field goal and made it a two-possession game. Rob McClain came out and shut that shit down, and it was a good stop that kept us in the game for the second half. Good pick by Rob McClain. Guys doing special things, but Justin Evans, man. We got to take a look at Justin Evans doing great things as well as he's really coming into his own. Next season, he's going to be special. Next season, Justin Evans is definitely going to be a weapon and established in that safety position if we can figure out who's going to be starting next year. TJ Ward going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Who knows if he's even going to stay here? Guy's been complaining about playing time, and he has every right to. He's a pro bowler. What is he, a three-time pro bowler? Super Bowl champion, has plenty of experience in hitting people and getting to the football, and he's got to stay benched behind a guy like Chris Conti. Not to hate on Chris Conti, he's been doing his job, and I actually got to take my hat off to Chris Conti this season. He's definitely not the same Chris Conti we've seen the past two seasons. He's been getting his nose in there a little bit more and making an effort to tackle people, but TJ Ward, man. I don't think he'll be here next year as we break down free agency towards the end of the season. Coming back, I'm getting off topic here. Coming back to the game against the Lions on Sunday, a lot of costly penalties throughout, more specifically the Bucks' last drive before halftime. It was a run-of-the-mill two-minute situation that looked pretty good. Everyone was running on all cylinders until the momentum was absolutely killed uh, by the O-lineman Benedok in the hands of the face penalty. That set us back and forced us to punt. I think it was a long third down, and we ended up not being able to convert. You can't kill the momentum on the drives like that. We already had three first-half turnovers, three drives in a row that were shut down. And when you're finally given a situation to stay in the game and come out and you get things rolling and just a simple penalty like hands to the face, man, it absolutely killed us. It absolutely killed us and ate us alive. And it ultimately kept us out of the football game in the first half. Obviously, there were a lot of turnovers, but come on, man. This first half was not our first half. Not our first half whatsoever. I'm kind of going down my notes here. I wasn't expecting to be by myself here on the show tonight. So we're going to be jumping from point to point. But I'm glad you guys are hanging out and sticking around with me. Let's take a look at the notes here. Something else on offense we're going to talk about. A couple of points on the offense. Let's take a look here. All right. I got it. Got everything lined up here. Okay, so we're going to talk about the offense as well. Defense has already been broken down the best that I can, really. Lots of turnovers against the Lions, but looking at the offense, a couple of points I wanted to make. The first one I wanted to make, man, is that if you aren't on the Chris Godwin hype train, now is the perfect time to get on. Not that I didn't like him before. 
But Chris Godwin came up huge on Sunday. He finished as the leading receiver and connected for multiple key first downs. I like Adam Humphreys, but I'm pretty sure this kid is going to beat him out for that starting job next year. Because he has been a reliable receiver, especially fighting for those extra yards and getting us those key first downs. Got to get some more touchdowns on the season for Chris Godwin, man. This kid's going to be special as well. He knows how to make moves. He knows how to get himself open, and, he, and when he does get his hands on the football, he knows how to run in space and fight for those extra couple of yards. We saw it showcased a few times. I believe he finished with uh, six. I, I think he had six targets, six targets and five catches for 40-some yards, but I'm pretty sure four out of those five catches were first down conversions, so he's out here doing big things for the offense. But a con on the offense, if you had any speculation of Doug Martin, our running back, returning next year, go ahead and put it to rest. Safe to say that the fumble before the half more than likely sealed the deal as Peyton Barber got the start for the third quarter. Poor ball control from Doug Martin. If you guys hadn't seen that play, it was one of the last plays of the first half. Doug Martin had kind of bounced to the left side, tried to find some blocks from the outside, and ran towards the back before moving forward at all. But the entire time... He was carrying the football around his waist. It was in his right hand placed around his waist and ultimately led to a fumble, which the Lions did recover and pretty much killed the momentum for that drive as well. Another one of those first half turnovers. But Dirk Cutter wasn't very happy with Doug Martin as we did bring up that Peyton Barber got the start for the third and fourth quarter. He was asked about it in the uh, post-game press conference, Dirk Cutter they had asked him about the Peyton Barber, Doug Martin situation, and his response was, well, it was Peyton Barber's turn to run the football. You know, he's been waiting on the bench. It was her, his turn to get in there and start to make some plays for us. Obviously, these guys aren't going to come out here and tell you the 100% truth because they can't be brutally honest with you, but a questionable future for Doug Martin. And I like Doug. I, I do like Doug. I'm kind of, I'm more, I'm more disappointed than I am mad with Doug Martin. Hasn't been able to get anything cooking. He has the potential to do it. Still one of the only players in NFL history to have a 50-plus point fantasy game. Obviously, that was three or four years ago. But he's a talented back. Finished top three in the league rushing a couple years back. Obviously, we look to see him do the same thing. He hasn't been able to do it since. Faced the suspension and has come back and still pretty much averaging 2.5, 2.4, 2.5 yards a carry. I'm sad to see that he can't get anything cooking. So he's probably not going to be a buck next year. But the question the question is, is if he's not going to be a buck, where is he going to go for one? But two, can he really be a breakout star anywhere else? He's been in the league for a number of years. And he's shown us two great seasons. He's shown us a lot more mediocre seasons. But is it the system in Tampa? Is it the O-line in Tampa? Is it the lack of blockers? That a lot of people like to point to. Because with those same lack of blockers. Peyton Barber and Charles Sims have been able to get vertical. And make some good plays. They haven't had any 50 plus fantasy point games. But they've been able to get out there and get the job done. And at least convert for a couple of first downs. Like I said I like Doug Martin very very much. My profile picture on Facebook is me and Doug Martin. We're buddies. We hang out and get drinks every weekend. I'm kidding. Uh, me and me and Doug Martin actually don't go out and go get drinks every weekend. Might get him in trouble again. But 
I, I like the guy, but if you can't produce, you can't produce. And at the end of the day, he's not going to be a buck next season if he can't produce. Unless he goes out and breaks for 300-plus yards next week, finishes the season with 1,000 yards in three games, it's not going to happen, guys. It's not going to happen. It's a sad truth, and it's something we've talked about for a full year, especially when everyone was on the hype train to draft a running back last year. Came out and drafted O.J. Howard in the first round, but it's not going to happen. This was his year to prove that he had something going on. The Bucks had faith in him. I had faith in him. A couple of other people I know did, and he can't produce. So Doug Martin will more than likely not be a Buck next year. And a key asset of that offense. It's sad to see, man. It's sad to see. Now, taking a look at Dirk Cutter and the way this game was coached against Detroit could have been better, but I can't really complain about the play calling too much, but there was one drive that did make me scratch my head. And one concerning drive. Concerning to me, especially for the Dirk Cutter situation that he's in now, because as you guys know, he is coaching for his life. Maybe not for his life. They're not going to put him on the chopping block, but he could not be in Tampa next year. But one concerning drive to me, especially for the situation he's in, was in the fourth quarter. The Bucks came out with an empty backfield set. So Jameis was the only one playing out of the shotgun position. And they threw three straight incomplete passes to Mike Evans, who was in triple coverage come the third attempt to try and squeeze it in there. The first try was Mike Evans not being in position, which he did end up owning up to. It was pretty much Mike Evans had come out. And tried to make a move on the defender, pretty much got caught up in a flurry of guys, bounced off of one of them, and just wasn't in the place he needed to be. So he owned up to that. He was, you know, patting himself on the chest, saying that was my fault back in the huddle. The second play was a good heads-up play by Jameis to find an open man, but he couldn't connect with Mike. It was uh, Mike running out of double coverage on the right side of the field, I want to say. And it was more of a, a more of a crossing route that it looked like, but it was slightly overthrown. Uh, slightly overthrown out of Mike's direction. He wasn't able to get there and connect, so not exactly either of their fault, just not a good drawn-up play. But the third attempt was really what made me scratch my head, as, as Mike Evans was way downfield in triple coverage. That's the thing. It was a bomb way downfield to Mike Evans in triple coverage, and I'm not sure if it's lazy play calling or Jameis having too much faith in Mike Evans, I mean, we ended up scoring on the drive, so it doesn't really matter. That was the drive that um, the left guard, number 66, I forgot his name. I kind of feel bad because he did score a touchdown for us. But he ended up getting in the end zone. <coughs> Excuse me. So we ended up scoring on the drive. It didn't really matter. But something, you know, something that just makes you scratch your head. I'm sure on one of those plays, Mike Evans wasn't Jameis' first option. He started going through his progressions and had seen Mike open at one time or another. But... I don't know, something you can really only ponder here is we talk about every which way Coach Cutter is running these games. You kind of have to question everything after so long, man. But I, I can't say these past two weeks, I haven't really had any complaints with the Dirt Cutter play calling. Something we did see against Detroit, it was brought back and better than ever. Ladies and gentlemen, that Deshaun Jackson end around got us a first down and much more. I've been clamoring for it for... Since the preseason, man. If you guys have been listening to the show, you would know how happy that play makes me. And it made me so happy to see it work. And I mean, it worked. If you guys hadn't seen the play, I'm pretty sure it was a 24-yard pickup. 24-25. A really good play to Sean Jackson, one of the, probably one of my favorite Bucks offensive players. 
I don't know why I like the guy so much either. I really can't pinpoint it, but I gotta say he's one of my favorites. And to see that end around called to perfection, oh, oh man, oh man, it was a good, it was a good time. I was sitting here watching the game at home. I was in my bed. I sat straight up for that play because I knew what was going on. But let's take a look towards the end of the game. Lions had possession of the ball, ended up kicking that game-winning field goal. We obviously had time on the clock, but wasn't what we needed. There was a fumble on the last play of the game. We had to uh, we had to pick it up and run the time down. But clock management at the end of the game was was pretty baffling to me. The Lions took the two-minute warning and ran two plays before we called a single timeout. That was a full minute of time wasted that very well could have helped, especially on our last drive of the game. I believe we came out with only 20-some seconds. And had we burned one of those timeouts, that 20-some seconds could have very well turned into a little over a minute. Or just under that, which, you know, 30 seconds in football time is almost all the time in the world, especially if you can go out there and engineer a good drive the way that we've seen Jameis do before. So clock management really needs to be figured out. And I don't know if it's a situation where nobody's sitting there watching the clock, nobody wants to figure out what's going on, everybody's focused on the game and how to stop what's going on on the field, but you kind of need someone to pay attention to that, man. I was sitting there watching the game, two-minute warning had gone, but after the two-minute warning, two plays were called, and I just, I sat there, and I was I was thinking to myself, all right, you know, let's call this timeout, let's get this timeout, Lions ran another play. All right, let's get this timeout. Here comes the timeout. We're going to stop the clock. And it never happened. Wasted a full minute. Very well could have lost us the game. The fumble on the last play of the game, obviously that was preventable, but it's a fumble, so nobody really predicted that happening. But if you go out there and you have a chance to play smarter football, it can save you from situations like that. That fumble very well could have not been the last play of the football game. But here we are. Sitting at 4-9. Let's get serious for a minute and let's talk about the future of this team. We've talked about it every week. We've talked about it for three weeks now and we've pretty much said the same thing for three weeks now. I don't think Dirk Cutter is going to be a buck next year. I don't think Mike Smith is going to be a buck next year. I think Mike Smith is going to take a head coaching job and I think Dirk Cutter is just going to get fired. But we've still got about a month to wait and see. But the question is, how much longer is Dirk Cutter going to be in Tampa? A couple of weeks ago, Evan and I had discussed six wins and Cutter probably can save his tenor in Tampa. But we've lost two in a row, four and nine. And we have three games left against division rivals that we can barely even score on. So, not 100% certain that we're going to lose these games, but we're probably going to lose two out of three of them. Best situation is we finish 5-11. and 11. Dirk Cutter's not going to be here. The question is, how much longer is he going to be here? Because after the Lions game, everybody was saying, don't be surprised if Cutter's fired tomorrow. But here we are, halfway through another week, and he's still here on the coaching staff. Another week is going to go by, and hopefully not another loss, but if another loss and another week goes by, it really makes you wonder what's going on. Because the plan for the offseason seemed fairly set in stone. When you take a look at the way things have turned out. 
you know, the way that you can look at it right now and, and plan for things to happen is going to be firing of the head coach. Mike Smith is going to go somewhere else. If he's not fired, he'll take the head coaching job in either Cleveland or New York, and they'll pursue a new coach. Hopefully Gruden or hopefully Josh McDaniels, really, if I had to take two guys and put them in that situation. If Gruden realistically doesn't work out and they don't want to go that direction, Josh McDaniels could very well be the guy to save the day for us, but it's it's a concerning situation, but at the same time, they know more than we do at this point, so I can't sit here and question them about it that much. But it really does make you wonder what's going through their heads right now. I wonder what the plan is right now. I would give anything to spend five minutes in a conference room at one buck place and just hear them talk about this. You know, it's got to be something that's got to be on people's minds. You know, Dirk Cutter obviously going to be one of them. Next Monday is going to be a great game for him. But I watched Dirk Cutter's post-game conference after the Lions game, and it was pretty tense. You could see it when he walked in the room. The energy was tense. He stood there. He was tapping his fingers against the podium, breathing real heavy. Very, very short, blunt answers. And a good amount of sarcasm, especially there was a question asked regarding him and Jameis' relationship. As you guys know, there was an uh, international report that had come out saying that Jameis and Dirk Cutter were not on the best of terms and that they had pretty much lost trust, or uh, Jameis had lost faith in, um, in Dirk. And these guys came out and said that it wasn't true, but you know, a report like this comes out and it is concerning. Someone had asked a question about the report, and Dirk had said, you know, well, this is news to me. I did not know that this was going on. Somebody had told me about it after the game. And then a reporter had asked, do you think it can relate back to Jameis' injury? Do you think there's a way you could have been there for him more throughout his rehab and injury? And Dirk looked at the reporter, and he said, well, I could have pulled out my medicine bag and done some shoulder surgery, but I didn't do that. And that was the end of the question, and that set the tone for the entire press conference for me. One, because I kind of giggled, because sarcasm is always funny. But it really makes you look past the answer, the sarcastic answer, and wonder the state of mind that the head coach is in right now. He said that that was news for him about the Jameis thing, but I'm I'm sure Dirk Cutter keeps up with the articles, and I'm sure that he sees what's being said. I'm sure that he sees what the fans want. Some of the fans want Gruden. Some of the fans want something else. A small percentage of the fans want to mix things up and keep him here next year. But the bottom but the bottom line is if you can only win four times, you don't need to be here. It comes back to the pattern that people had talked about, all the naysayers had talked about. You can't build a winning culture if you're firing a coach every two years. And part of that may be true, but the response to that is why not? If you bring guys in with a resume that looks good, you bring guys in with a good-looking resume who you hope to do the job, and they can't do the job after two seasons, why keep them there? Dirk Cutter is another classic example. Obviously, Dirk Cutter was hired within, was the Bucks' offensive coordinator, and did a pretty solid job of the Bucks' offense. Came into the head coaching position. Things fell apart. We did end up going 9-7 and seven in his first year as head coach, though, and that got people pretty excited. Turn around this year, coming out of the offseason, 
coming out of free agency, coming out of the draft, Bucks have one of the best teams in the league on paper. A perfectly coachable team. A playoff contender team. Now you can say playoff contender all you want. We never know if this is the truth because we haven't seen the full potential of this team. It all comes back to coaching. But I would say a pretty solid playoff contender, if not a guaranteed wild card spot. 10 and 6 and 9 and 7 were my lowest expectations for this season. You come out, if you win four games with a perfectly coachable team, then you're obviously not going to be able to get the job done. This is a coachable team, just with no one to coach them. But Dirk Cutter reads the news. He reads the articles. He knows what the people want. And John Gruden's going to be on that field. The same field as Dirk Cutter next Monday night. Honored at halftime. The fans know what's going on. Dirk knows what's going on. And John Gruden, I'm sure, knows what's going on as well. So at halftime, when he's being inducted into the Ring of Honor ceremony... We're going to see what's going on. It's going to be loud. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be a good time for everyone who's going to be there except for Dirk Cutter. Because if these fans want John Gruden back, they are going to make it known. And if the Buccaneers... And if the Buccaneers are getting slaughtered at halftime by the Atlanta Falcons... who we have obviously not been able to show up in primetime football against these guys. I was actually uh, looking today. Devin Hester retired yesterday. And uh, the Instagram page NFL History had posted a video of Devin Hester's punt return for a touchdown against the Bucks that Thursday night game a couple of years ago. It was the first half. And as the first half was winding down, Devin Hester had that punt return touchdown. Made the score 35-0. to zero. I try to forget that game. But the Falcons have never been a team that we can go out and put on a clinic against in prime time, at least these past couple of years. So if the situation plays out like I'm thinking it will, this could very we this could very well be the worst night of Dirk Cutter's coaching career. And it could be the final nail in the coffin as we move forward and take a look at it. But Back to what I was saying before when I had initially started this. you got to wonder what's going through his head right now. Someone had asked him in that same press conference after the Lions game about Gruden. And he said, you know, well, you know, John's being honored. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. He's paid his dues and this and that. Pretty much a generic answer of, of one head coach to another head coach. And it it really just begs the question. I wonder what's going on there. All we can do is wonder at this point until we see any moves made. And that's what's concerning is that we haven't seen any ounce of moves made. Probably waiting for the end of the season, but... <sighs> wow, man. Re- well, wow. Another great point that was brought up, and this is probably going to be the last point we make before we talk about the Monday night game more than we already have. And then we're going to wrap up the show. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter show tonight. Another great point that was made was by Trevor Sikama of Pewter Report. He was on the show last week as we talked about Green Bay. And a point that he made in the John Gruden argument, he said, John Gruden is a great coach. Can't take that away from him. He won a Super Bowl with the Bucks, over 100 career wins. Guy had a hell of a career as a coach. He's doing his thing on Monday Night Football, and that is all fine and dandy. 
But he is being inducted into the Ring of Honor for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday night. His name is going on the stadium. Like, when you're there watching the games, the Ring of Honor names are all up on that second deck on the wall, kind of where the sponsors are. They're hard to ignore. So if you put Gruden's name on there, it cements a legacy of greatness. It stands for greatness. People look at it, and they remember the Super Bowl. They remember John Gruden hosting or uh, hoisting the Lombardi Trophy next to Malcolm Glazer. And there's actually there's a picture that I, I really like. I'm probably going to end up using it for the episode. But there's a picture of Gruden hoisting the Lombardi next to Malcolm Glazer, and Stuart Scott is standing next to him. And Stuart Scott kind of has this, you know, done-with-your-shit look on his face as he kind of waits for a response. And I can tell that he went up to ask Gruden an answer, and Gruden kind of busted out in celebration. And it's a good time. Basically, the picture is a good time. And people remember that when they see that name on the stadium. If you bring Gruden back as head coach next year, and he underperforms and doesn't do what we want him to do, and ends up leaving again. It tarnishes that. And that was an excellent point brought up by Trevor. And I'm still Team Gruden, because it's a risk at this point that I'm willing to take. But it's a good point to think about. You don't want to tarnish that reputation. And so that could very well play a factor into how the Bucks make their decision. You know, that, that front office is gonna be is gonna be busy at the end of this month. It's gonna be very, very busy at the end of the month if no moves are made. And it's gonna be something that we're gonna be very excited to talk to you about here on the show. We're gonna be going live on Instagram. If if it happens it if it happens at one in the morning. If if it happens at one in the morning, you know, Dirk Cutter gets fired, Mike Smith gets fired, or someone leaves, someone gets hired. If it happens at one, two, three, four in the morning, we're going live on Instagram because that's how excited we are to talk about it. So we'll see what happens. But an excellent point brought up by Trevor last week, something to think about. Now, a risk that I'm willing to take is bringing Gruden in to see if he can perform. And it's something that you know, I'd like to see happen. A lot of people say you don't want to you don't want to reach into the past. You know, Gruden didn't do very much after the Super Bowl. Gruden didn't do very much after the Super Bowl because after all the veterans cut, that wasn't his team anymore. Those Bucks teams were not good Bucks teams. Gruden took us to the playoffs in 07. But it wasn't a very good Bucks team. None of those teams after the Super Bowl were very good Bucks teams. This team right now, is as coachable as it's ever been. All the talent in the world. We have talent locked down in pretty much every position but cornerback. Even if it's younger talent, we have guys out there ready to make plays. You have an underperforming quarterback in Jameis Winston, and John Gruden is probably salivating thinking about how we can coach up Jameis Winston. And that's the thing. John Gruden wants to get in there and coach up Jameis Winston, and coach this team. The argument that a lot of people made was that John Gruden won the Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's team. Well, Tony Dungy obviously couldn't win a Super Bowl with his own team because he couldn't get the job done. Similar situation. A great team 
Just a coach who couldn't get the job done. John Gruden is someone who has stepped into this role before and gotten the job done. It's a perfect situation for him. And it's something that I'm excited to see. But we'll have to see what happens, man. We really will. So we'll see what happens. If you guys are watching on YouTube, leave your comments down below. We'll have a little discussion about it. And also, if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at Cannon Fire Podcast, as we do do a lot of discussion posts on there. All opinions are welcome. If it's wrong, then I'll tell you it's wrong, but I'm not going to hate you for it. Not going to hate you for it. But a rough week. Another rough week in Bucks football, and next week could be better, but we have to see how the team performs on Monday. The entire world's going to be watching. I'm going to be watching as well if I'm not working. We'll see what happens, guys, but I'm excited. I'm excited to face this Falcons team that we have faced before and didn't do a very good job, but we've learned. In these past few games, we've really been hanging in there. We lost to the we lost to the Packers in overtime, and we kept the Lions to three points by the end of the day. A win's a win and a loss is a loss, but let's look at the losses that we're facing right now. Haven't lost by that much. Hopefully we don't lose by that much against Atlanta. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast on YouTube and iTunes. If you haven't already, like I said before, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Cannon Fire Podcast. We are on Facebook, so go toss us a like at Cannon Fire Podcast. And if you're on iTunes, leave a review, as many stars as you'd like. If you got one star, tell us why it is, and I'll still appreciate it just the same. But guys, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it very, very much as we... Steam ahead towards Monday Night Football should be a good one, I'm hoping. Let's see what happens, but it should be fun come halftime. And if you're at the game, take some videos, man. Take some videos, take some pictures, definitely appreciate it as it could be a night that turns the tide for the Bucks' future. But that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and remember, go Bucks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.